0: today is Christians and politics and I don't know if you noticed but we're, we're living actually in a time of deeply divided politics right you know if you don't have a TV you don't listen to the radio and if you never check your mail and never go out you might not notice I was trying to get the mail just the other day And our mailbox, boy, if you get behind a few days, it was so jam-packed with all of these political ads that I couldn't pull the whole stack out. I had to extract it piece by piece. And uh, that's fun. Let's try that. Is that a little better? It's not safe to post things on Facebook these days if there is any political element to it, unless you like to be vilified and attacked by your friends and your acquaintances. So I thought today would be a good day to just have an honest conversation about Christianity and about politics. But I'll just let you know I'm not going to tell you how to vote or whether you should vote, although I think there's good reasons to vote. Uh, I even thought, you know, I normally wear blue. I love the color blue. Wait, I probably shouldn't wear blue or red. I don't want to send the wrong signal. So I'm wearing kind of purple today and brown. So I'm not trying to to tell you one thing or another. Uh, Hopefully, today we're going to see some principles from God's Word. You know, I was on Facebook this week and I saw a couple of friends of mine, people who I love and respect. And they're friends of one another. But I saw this heated discussion between the two of them. And it was a little ugly. And it kind of hurt me a little bit, seeing that. And I thought, man, we're living in some tough times right now. And we need to be so careful and so prayerful about how we live and what we do. So let's pray one more time as we get into God's Word. Loving Heavenly Father, as we open your word, as we talk about Christianity, as we talk about politics, I pray that you'll guide us, in Jesus' name, amen. So we're not going to go to a single passage today like we normally do. We're going to have to jump around because we want to get a survey of some broad concepts of the Bible, and I'll just tell you right up front, we're not going to answer all of your questions, and and that's okay, but at least we'll... We'll give some basic considerations. So the number one principle that I want to kind of establish in our minds is the fact that we as Christians are pilgrims here on this world. We're pilgrims, and we see this in so many different ways. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11, and you can read about Abraham, who, who lived in tents because he was a pilgrim. And the Bible says in Hebrews 11 that he looked for a city that has foundations, whose builder... And maker was God. Abraham himself realized I'm just a stranger in this world. I'm just a passing through and he realized ultimately his home was in heaven. And we see this message consistently in scripture. Go to the, to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. We're going to get a lot of practice flipping around in the pages of our Bible, or scrolling and hitting the right buttons on your phone to get to these passages, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, and we'll actually start in verse 18, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 18, if you're there, say, I'm there, okay, that was most of us. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 18, it says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now I am telling you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Paul is contrasting some people. Uh, the Christians, and then those who just are focused on right here, right now. It even says that the God is their belly. They're just focused on self-gratification. But notice his contrast in verse 20. He says, for our citizenship is where? In In heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able to subdue even all things to himself." So principle number one that we're seeing is, we are ultimately citizens of heaven. We are just passing through as pilgrims on this earth. You know, Jesus himself emphasized this, John 18, verse 36, he said, "'My kingdom is not of this world.'" Jesus didn't want to be king. He didn't come to uh, establish this massive political revolution. He came for a spiritual purpose. And so he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, people would be fighting for me, but they're not. My kingdom's not of this world. Or what about Ephesians chapter 6? If you're still in Philippians, you can just go... Right next door to the left in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 6. And we'll look at verse 12. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, backing it up to verse 11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of who? The devil. The devil. <laughs> For we wrestle not against Democrats and Republicans, but against principalities, again. What's it say in your Bible? Right, but we might as well say that. Our enemy is not a political force or group. Who is our enemy? Satan. That is our enemy. And our, our battle, Paul is saying, is not against flesh and blood. Now He's not denying the fact that there are battles of flesh and blood in our world. Not denying that. But he's saying, we are citizens of the kingdom. And we have bigger battles to face. Our foe is a greater foe than the the real foes that are in this world. So we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, That against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. So we've got to keep that in mind. Who's our enemy? Our enemy is Satan. We're members of Christ's kingdom, a heavenly kingdom. Sure, we start now, but we're preparing for the kingdom in the future. Sometimes I think we're fighting the wrong battles. There are important things in our world, but there are even more important things. Sometimes we get distracted with the less important. The apostles, they made it clear who our allegiance to was to be to. Acts chapter five verse twenty nine. Peter said, "For we ought to obey our political part, God, rather than men." Again, our highest allegiance is to God. Now, sometimes man will command us to do things that go against God's principles. And in that case, we got to say, sorry, I'm following the Lord. Um, He's my ultimate authority. In other words, we're Christians before we're anything else. Amen. Amen? Amen? We're Christians before anything else. If the gospel hasn't transformed our whole worldview, the way that we look at the world, If anything else has become the lens through which we view the world first, we've got our priorities mixed up. If our political leanings are how we view the world first and then we go to Christianity after that, we have big problems with our priorities. Number one, our citizenship is in heaven. We're just passing through. Christ is our king and he tells us in Matthew 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God, and his righteousness. So point number one, very clear. We're pilgrims in the world. Our allegiance is to God. He is our first loyalty. But having established this, we recognize there are some other dynamics in Scripture that we need to understand. And so we recognize that we also, while we are moving towards heaven, we still live here in this world, and we have a responsibility in our world. So go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're still in Ephesians, you just hang a right and you keep on going, passing all the T's, passing Hebrews. Eventually, you'll make your way to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 13 through 17. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 and 17. Does the reality that we are kingdom uh, uh, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, does that reality excuse us from any sort of obligation morally in this world? No. We see very clearly here. 1 Peter chapter 2. Therefore, verse 13, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for whose sake? The Lord's sake. So we are to submit to the authorities that are in charge for God. And that's important to remember because we may not always agree or even like the people that are in authority. But we're supposed to obey them, if for no other reason, for God's sake. For God's sake. So even if you hate the law, we're supposed to follow it. Not because you necessarily agree with the law, but because we love God. And that's what he told us to do. Every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Our purpose in obeying is not only to serve God, but it's also a way of doing good so that people can't speak badly against us. Well, I tell you, I just kind of have to shield my eyes sometimes when I see different things in the news with different people of faith and the way they're representing the faith. Um, There just are some things that turn people totally away from the message of good, Peter tells us, no, 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 follow, obey, be good citizens so that people don't have anything bad to say against you. So that there can be good. You may put to silence, in verse 15, the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Yes, God is our ultimate king, but the Bible tells us you got to respect and obey, even if you disagree, the people who are in power, as long as they're not commanding you to bow down and worship idols. Last week in our Daniel study, we were studying Daniel chapter 3. The three Hebrew worthies were commanded to bow down, but God said, don't do it. And so they switched from obedience to civil authorities mode and they switched over into obedience to God mode, which uh, they were still doing you know, all the time, because God says, obey the civil authorities. Um, and we could look at a lot of passages. Paul says the same thing basically in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. He says, be subject to ruling governing authorities. Titus 3, verse 1, he says, be submissive to rulers into authorities. And even in Daniel, a couple weeks ago, we saw in Daniel chapter 2, verse 21, God is the one who sets up kings and takes them down and, al- and allows them to be put there. It doesn't say that God puts only good kings in or allows only good rulers to be put there. But if God is permitting something, in the, in the Hebrew mindset, it's like he's committing something. So God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to be king. But was Nebuchadnezzar a good king, generally speaking? No, he was a bad king. He did a lot of bad things, but God didn't kill him at his birth because he respects the freedom of those. And God was working in Nebuchadnezzar's life to try and have him be converted. And come Wednesday night, and we'll find out what happens (laughs) in Daniel chapter (laughs) 4. The Bible just connects together, you know? Now, I want to go to another passage, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Because the Apostle Paul actually takes it a step further. Not only are we supposed to respect and obey the authorities, we'll see something else here. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Are you there? More or less? I'm there in my mind, Pastor. I'm there. All right, therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men, all people. And then it qualifies those who are a part of all people for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we're supposed to pray. You're supposed to pray for that political leader that you despise the policies of. It is your moral obligation to pray for them, to pray for for the people in the election, to pray for the people that God has allowed to be in charge right now. And what's the purpose of the praying? Well, as we continued on to verse four, we see that God desires for everybody to be saved. Even the people that just make your skin crawl when you think about them, whoever they might be. And you know what, I found that when I pray for people that I struggle to like, a lot of times, maybe mostly for myself, that those prayers are going out Because when you're praying for somebody and you're really asking God to do something good in their life, it starts to change your attitude towards that person. You may never like what they do or what they say or how they lead, but it starts to soften your own heart. So we as Christians are instructed not only to obey, but to pray for the people in power. Are you praying? Add that to your regular prayer list. Not only the leaders of our church, but we need to be praying for the leaders in our country. And might I also add the leaders in other countries as well? God doesn't just want Americans to be saved, He wants everybody to be saved. Amen? Are we making sense so far? Principle number one. God's our highest authority. We're just passing through this world. We obey him. But principle number two, God told us, as our ultimate authority, that we're also supposed to obey the people in this world who've been placed there, allowed to be there, and we're supposed to pray for them. And in Matthew 22, Jesus tells us we should pay our taxes too. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. So, don't cheat on your taxes. <laughs> but I didn't need to say that, right? Pay an honest tax, of course. So, then we come to a question. So, what about politics? Because I know, so far I'm with you, John. You said, okay, obey God, follow Him, Heaven's our home, right? I got that. And then respect, even if you disagree, and pray for the people who are in authority but what about what's going on right now? And some might even ask the question, in fact, somebody asked me this week, they said, is it all right for Christians to vote? And that's kind of a question that we have, you know, given that there's so much corruption in politics, and quite frankly, it's hard to find any candidate who's perfect, at least as far as many people are concerned. So, you know, should we even vote as Christians? And the Bible doesn't Talk specifically in in regards to this because they had a different political system. It was very different back then. And we can be very thankful that we have the system that we have today. But there are some really good principles that I think suggest Christians absolutely should vote. It's too late for this election because you had to register by October 22, but you could register for the next one. So here are a couple of considerations. If we are supposed to reverence the governing authorities, and if we are supposed to pray for them and so forth, it makes sense that we should also participate in the process of bringing people into being authorities. God gave them or allowed them to have authority, and it makes sense to participate in the whole process. But Christians, we are called to to spread the gospel, and part of the gospel is a practical presence in our world that relieves the suffering of people and works for justice in our society and so forth and so on. What does it say in Micah chapter 6, verse 8? He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. One of the ways that we work for justice is by seeking to have just laws and just leaders in our society. How do we do that? Well, we participate and we vote. I don't tell you who to vote for, I don't tell you how to think, but the Bible does seem to suggest that we can play a part in what's going on in our world. Um, Go back to Jeremiah chapter 29, and I think this will be a fairly interesting thought for you. Jeremiah chapter 29, of course this is the chapter that has the famous verse 11 that that people love uh, as they should, or at least as I think people will naturally like, but look at verse 7. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 7. These are instructions to people who are sent into captivity. They were transplanted from Jerusalem, and they're now living in Babylon. And God had a special message for them in Babylon. They're captives there. They don't want to be there. They'd rather be in their home. But check out what God said to them. First of all, in verse 5, he says, build homes and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat your fruit. Settle down. You're going to be there for a while. But then look at verse 7, and seek peace in the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive, and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. He's saying, you're stuck here, so make the best of the city as you can. Seek peace in that city. Pray for that city. One of the ways that we can seek peace in our local area of Modesto and in our country is by trying to vote responsibly and prayerfully in such a way as to promote peace and the blessings uh, that come from following these principles. So, yeah. You know, another line of thought. Remember the story about the Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan, what was the problem? There was a guy that was beat up by robbers and he was laying alongside the road and there were three people that walked past the person, right? Well, one, one helped, the Samaritan, but you remember the, the identities of the other two people? There was a priest and a Levite, right? So. The priest and the Levite didn't stop to help the person, right? Um, Their decision not to do anything... Was that actually kind of a decision to do something? Yeah. Their decision to ignore and not be involved could have led to the death of that person. Fortunately, there was somebody who did step up and do something. And sometimes we think, you know what, I'm just not going to vote because there's just so much bad in politics. Our decision not to vote is actually, in effect, a decision of itself. Uh, It's a vote. You're casting a vote in itself by not voting. So you might as well just vote. And of course, I'm not telling you what you have to do. I'm just trying to, to see if there are principles in the Bible that may lead us to think about these things. So, is it okay for Christians to vote? I, as far as I can see, absolutely. Um, but we need to do it prayerfully. And we need to do it very carefully. Now, I don't tell people, generally, how I vote. Because I don't think that's my job, and I don't think, uh, I think oftentimes, when we identify ourselves too loudly, in a certain way politically, it brings up barriers between us and other people. Right? And our job is to spread the gospel in this world and to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But it's hard for some people to hear that good news if they see us in a political box. Uh, So this isn't the Lord telling you what to do, but perhaps some good advice, hopefully good advice, is to, to be involved, but don't use your involvement in such a way that it distracts people from the higher mission that we have. Does that make sense? So we want to be careful uh, how we do what we do. But you know, there's actually an interesting history within our own faith tradition, within the Adventist community, of political involvement. And if you were to be alive during the founding era of our church, you would see that they were a lot more politically involved than we are generally today. You can read that historically, they were big time in favor of prohibition. And they would go out and campaign for this issue that was important to them. In fact, you can even read a statement from Ellen White, one of the founders of our church. And she makes such a bold claim. She says, basically, this issue is so important, even if you have to go to the polls on the Sabbath day, go for it. Because it was that important to be involved in that way. And I could show you a lot of different quotes and a lot of different history if you're interested. Or some articles to read. Now, generally, our, our forefathers were more interested in the issues than they were in specific people, but they weren't against voting for people also. But we were counseled saying, hey, if you're voting for people, you've got to recognize there are consequences to that, because if you put someone in office, you kind of are partly responsible for what they do while they're in office. So be very careful and educated and prayerful as you vote for people. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, so so there's a, a rich history even in our church history that, that demonstrates absolutely we should be a part, but we need to do it carefully and prayerfully. So then the question is, what are we voting for? Like, what should be important to us as Christians? Are we trying to create a Christian theocracy in our nation and vote in a whole bunch of Christian principles and make this a Christian... Uh, a unity of church and of state. And historically, we know, well, that's really dangerous, right? Because when state and church unite, it always leads to the persecution of the minorities. And we've experienced that. I'm gonna talk about that in just a moment. But I invite you to go to Revelation 13 real quick. We see in our view of prophecy that this has happened in the past, and it's gonna happen uh, in the future. And so we want to be very careful. Revelation chapter 13. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. Verse 1. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on its horns ten what? Crowns. And on its heads a blasphemous name. The Greek there for crowns. Is not Stephanos, the crown of victory that like Olympians would get. This is the crown of like civil authority, the kind of crown that a king would wear. So this is a political entity, but as you read Revelation 13, you see that this beast is receiving worship, this beast is blaspheming, this beast, this entity is totally religious also in its nature. So we have a combination of church and we have a combination of the state and as you study revelation 13 you see ultimately that leads to the mark of the beast issue and to trying to force worship and to all those things including ultimately this death penalty Uh, and we can talk more about that later and how we don't have to fear which is which is a real blessing but we do need to be aware that prophecy has told us our world is headed towards this event where, again, church and state will unite. And when it does that, people always get persecuted and innocent people suffer. So when we vote, our goal is not to create some Christian monarchy. But our, our, our goal is justice and mercy Amen. and walking humbly with our God, Amen. creating a society where we, together, can live as free people and we can have justice and mercy for all. It's interesting looking back into our history a little bit. You know, there are different laws that may surprise you that we have in our country. Uh, And even in California, we've talked about Sunday laws and different things that have been on the books. I was doing some interesting reading this week and In 1882 in California, there were laws that prevented any sort of secular labor on Sundays. Right here in California, it was illegal to do certain things to work on Sundays. And you know what? Over 1,600 people were arrested just in the span of a few months in 1882. Right here in California. A lot of them were Adventists, others of them were Jews, and a number of them were Chinese immigrants. Arrested. And so what did our church leaders do? They said, this is not right. These laws are restricting the religious liberties, not only of us, but of the Jews, and of these Chinese immigrants who don't even have any faith. We need to do something about it. And so they got together, and they presented these issues to various political entities, in fact, ones that they normally wouldn't want to associate with, secular organizations, and they, they actually helped a certain party get elected that repealed these laws. uh, Which is a blessing because tomorrow you can go out and you can do work and you're not gonna get arrested for it because people in our faith community, our faith history said, no, 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 this is not right. We gotta make a stand, not only for ourselves, but for other people who will be affected by it. In fact, I saw something else that was interesting, 1887. So, Seventh day Adventists joined with the Seventh day Baptists in Arkansas because, well, let me just read this Arkansas State Legislature for an exemption from Sunday laws for Sabbath observers. And in 1889, A.T. Jones, that's a name that some of you will recognize from Adventist history, he was then the uh, editor of the American Sentinel, he opposed a bill that would have included Protestant education in public schools. Why did he oppose it? he argued that this bill would make public schools a Protestant training ground, violating the equal rights of Catholics, of Jews, and infidels. So here's a a famous Adventist uh, part of our history who says, you know what? We're Christians. We would be okay if there were Protestant principles in our schools. But that wouldn't be okay for everybody. It would hurt those who are of the Catholic faith tradition." It would hurt those that are of the Jewish faith tradition. And it would hurt the people that don't don't even believe in God. And he said, we can have our principles, but we don't want to force that on people. We don't force the gospel. We present opportunities for the gospel. So it's very interesting looking at our history. uh, and, And I think a principle that helps guide us here is the golden rule itself. Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. So as you vote, as you're involved in our society, think not only what would be good and convenient for me, but what would be good and beneficial for all of our society. And I'm proud of our Adventist lawyers who, who defend people from the Muslim communities, you know, who are discriminated against because of their religious dress. And we have lawyers that go to court for that through our religious liberties, and we do an offering once a year for them. But I am so proud to be a part of a denomination that says, you know what, we're not just looking out for our own interests. We want to live in a land where if you believe differently than us, you're free to live out and practice that. As long as you're not hurting people, you're allowed to do that. So as you vote, as you think about Politics, you're not just thinking about yourself, but you're thinking, how can I help others as well? How can I live in a society that promotes justice and mercy, even for people who disagree? And I think sometimes that means not only voting, but it's appropriate to speak out. Proverbs 31, verse 8 says, speak out for those who cannot speak, for the rights of all who are destitute. And there may be issues that God lays on your heart that you work towards and that you help support. Jesus himself in Luke 4, 18 was saying, hey, here's my mission. And then he listed off all these marginalized and disenfranchised people who he said, This is my purpose to save and help. And then Isaiah 58, you can read it yourself. What's a true fast? A true fast in Isaiah 58 is not just all these external forms, but a true fast in Isaiah 58 is helping the marginalized and the destitute, looking out for the weaker members of our society. That's a part of the gospel. That's a part of Jesus' heart for our world. And that's not a political statement. That's a biblical statement. So principle number one, God's our ultimate authority, amen? Amen. We serve and follow him, but he said, principle number two, respect even if you disagree with the people on this world and pray for them because God wants them to be in heaven too. You get to heaven and that person you didn't like politically may be your neighbor. So start praying for them now and letting your heart be softened now because it's important. Principle number three, is it all right to be involved? To vote? Absolutely. But we do it carefully, we do it prayerfully, we do it in such a way that we're not bringing up unnecessary barriers. People wonder, is it okay to hold a political office as a Christian? I think so. Uh, there are examples in the Bible, mostly of people who were forced into it, like Daniel and his friends, but they didn't, they didn't oppose it. Like They wouldn't bow down on the penalty of death to the statue, And they didn't have the same stance because they realized that God could use them in that position to be forces for good. But they did it carefully because there are a lot of hazards getting into that. Uh, Joseph was used in a powerful way to save a whole bunch of lives because he was in a political position. I don't tend, like I mentioned, to tell people how I vote, and I don't tend to to say, I am this, and label myself as that, because I don't want to be forced into bringing up these barriers, and I also don't want to feel like I have to vote for certain people when they may not even be the best candidate for the job. Um, so we need to, again, be very thoughtful. So how are you feeling? Are we still okay with, with where we're at? Trying, I'm trying to give principles, but not tell you what to do because that's not my job. But I want to I leave you with four things and then a quick story as we end. Four little just suggestions for you. Number one, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. This is especially hard to do in this day and age. I am guilty, I will admit, having some, some words, sharing with my wife, I was on Facebook, I saw some things that my friend was posting, and I said some things that I need to repent of. I was not esteeming my friend better than me in that moment. It's hard to do. But we have to just say, you know what, they disagree on this issue, and that's okay. Okay. And I'm sure that they're sincere in their belief. And you know what? Maybe I'm wrong in the way that I'm seeing this. (coughs) Excuse me. So do your best to consider others and think of them better than yourself. Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn there. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Philippians chapter 2 verse 14 Do all things without complaining and disputing so that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights to the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain Don't get into a whole bunch of arguments he's saying Because you're lights for God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Would you admit that there's crookedness and perversity all around our world today? So be careful how you live because we are lights. You may disagree with someone, and it's all right to have an intellectual discussion about the issues that are at hand, but don't let it turn nasty. Remember that you're a light. Even on the comments that, I'm talking about Facebook a lot, even on the little comments that you make here and there, be so careful that your words, as the Bible says, are seasoned with grace. John 13, 35, people will know that we're God's disciples if we belong to a certain political party. Oh, that's what happens when you go off your notes. People will know we're his disciples if we have what? Love for, one Love for one another. Even if they disagree with you. Love them. Love them. Assume the best. Don't get into crazy arguments. Be light. Love people. And number four, remember that no matter what happens on Tuesday or next year or the following year, God is still going to be on the throne. Amen? Amen. Yeah even if you're bitterly disappointed. It's all right. God's still in heaven. He's on the throne. He wants to work in your life and my life, and he's coming back. And in heaven, it's going to be perfect. Amen. In heaven, we won't have to throw all of the stuff away that's in our mailbox after we consider you know, the material. <laughs> Carefully. In heaven... It's going to be so great. So just remember that. You know, I was talking to my friend from Walla Walla a while ago. He lives in a trailer park, and he was telling me about the managers that were trying to kick his family out, and they were doing it unjustly, and it was a bad situation. It gave him a lot of reason to be bitter against these people. But as we were talking, he said, John, you know, I'd like you to pray for so-and-so, the lady, because she's dealing with cancer, and it's not looking too good. I said, wow, we can certainly pray for her. And I said, man, I'm just impressed that you you said that, to to pray for her, because she's kind of like your enemy in this situation. And he turned to me, well, he didn't turn, we were on the phone. He responded to me and he said, John, I'm first a Christian before anything else. Even before I'm a tenant, I'm a Christian. Are we Christians in here first and foremost? We may disagree as Christians, but that's all right. God's still on the throne, and we can love one another and be involved in our communities and pray for our leaders. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we can love people like you do. There's a lot of nasty language going around in all areas of our world and our country i pray that we can be the healing love and touch and support that our country needs our communities need and i pray that you'll give us wisdom to know what role we can play how we can best be involved and if we choose to vote and choose to be involved i pray you'll show us what your will is for us give us love give us grace And we're looking forward to seeing you soon. In Jesus' name, let all God's Christians say, Amen. Amen. Have a happy Sabbath. We'll be seeing you soon. And don't forget about that meeting that was announced.